Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, The Hope of the Resurrection. All right, well, we have now in the Gospel of Mark, we've made it to the last week, the last week of Jesus' earthly life. So right now, we're just a few days before his very cruel crucifixion. So during this last week, the Lord is in Jerusalem. He's on the temple courts, and he's teaching God's word boldly to these crowds. And even though the crowds were infatuated with Jesus, you need to know that the Sanhedrin, the highest council in Israel, Israel's leaders, they were furious at Jesus. They looked at him as an imposter, as a false Messiah, and they couldn't wait to get their hands on him and arrest him and put him to death. But they knew that if they tried to intervene as Jesus is teaching on these large crowds, or teaching to these large crowds that are hanging on his every word, that if they tried to come in and arrest him right now, where we are, that there'd be a riot. And so they're waiting for just the right moment to pounce. And we know that that's gonna happen under darkness as they use a man named Judas to find Jesus up there on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's coming up later. But while these religious leaders, while the leaders of Israel were waiting for just the right moment to pounce, they decided to continue their smear campaign. They decided to continue to try to publicly discredit Jesus in the face of all of these crowds. In other words, they're trying to make him look bad through a series of very difficult questions. And so last week we saw them, the Pharisees, they stepped up to the plate and they asked Jesus a very difficult question about taxes. They tried to make them look bad, but Jesus actually turned the tables and he made them look bad by his amazing answer. They said, should we pay taxes to the Roman Empire? And he said, well, give me a denarius, a little silver Roman coin worth about a day's wages. Give me a denarius. And they gave him a denarius. And on the denarius was the, um, the bust of Tiberius Caesar inscribed on the, this denarius. And he said, whose inscription, everybody? And they all said, it's Caesar's. And he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God? And the crowd marveled. Why? Because of his answers. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot stump the son of God. You can't put him in a corner. You can't make him look bad. And he made them look bad. And so even though the crowd marveled at Jesus's answer, Israel's leaders would not give up on their smear campaign. And so now in our scriptures today, they're gonna send in a different group of men and these, this different group of, of men are gonna pose yet another tough question to the Lord. Okay, so look at Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Mark 12, 18, it says, and the, what's their names? Sadducees, okay, it's not the Pharisees, now it's the Sadducees. They came to Jesus, and by the way, these Sadducees say that there is no resurrection. Okay, we have to stop right there because some of you are new. We gotta, by way of review, ask the question, who were the Sadducees? Okay, so the Sadducees were a political and religious party. Okay, they were way more political than they were religious. So they were a political and religious party in Israel 
that served as the temple aristocracy. So these guys, many of them were chief priests, okay? Uh, They oversaw everything that had to do with the Jewish temple. So a political and religious party in Israel that served as the temple aristocracy and they held sway in the Sanhedrin. So the Sadducees were of the wealthy class of Israel and along with their political opponents, their religious opponents, the Pharisees, they ruled over the Jews from that highest council in Israel, which was the Sanhedrin. And so the Pharisees, remember last week, taxes, Sadducees, this week, resurrection. These guys hated each other. These guys were always butting heads. They were kind of like the the Republicans and Democrats of our day today. They just went at it over and over. They disagreed, I'm sure, about a lot of things, but there was two things, first century Judaism, two things that they disagreed about the most. One of the things had to do with the supernatural realm. The other thing had to do with what is really authoritative, what is binding in our lives. And so considering uh, considering this whole thing of the supernatural realm, you got the Pharisees, you got the Sadducees. Because the Pharisees, they believed in the afterlife. They believed that once your body dies, your soul is still alive. They believed in the existence of angels. These guys, they believed in a future resurrection, what today's message is gonna be about. They believed uh, in a final judgment where we have to stand before God. That's the Pharisees. The Sadducees, they're like, no way. They denied all of those things. They denied the supernatural. They were the naturalists of the day. It says in verse 18, they did not believe in the resurrection. They believed that when you die, it's lights out. It's over, you cease to exist. Now, that's the supernatural realm, they disagreed. Concerning what's authoritative, what's really binding in our lives. The Pharisees, they believed that there was two two things that were authoritative. The written law of God and the oral law of God. The written law of God, that's Torah, We call it the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They looked at that as their authority, but here's the problem. The Pharisees added to God's word, the oral law. In other words, they believe that Moses didn't just hand down Torah, the written law. They believe that Moses also handed down verbal commandments that were never written down. And those verbal commandments were received by that generation and passed on to the next generation and the next generation. From rabbi to rabbi and the list, the man-made rules, the legalism got longer and longer and longer so that by the time you got to the first century AD in the time of Jesus, you have all these man-made rules, this man-made religion, and, and they thought that's authoritative in our lives. And of course, we know in the Gospels, Jesus spoke out against the Pharisees and he spoke out against their legalism. The Sadducees, what's authoritative in our, in our lives? They said, forget your oral law, forget your verbal commands, forget the teachings of the rabbis. We don't want anything to do with that. We just believe in the first five books of the Bible. We believe in Torah. 
And so they, Pharisees, Sadducees, were bitter enemies. But when it came to Jesus, they looked at Jesus as a greater enemy. And so in spite of their differences, and by the way, the Sanhedrin had more seats on, I'm sorry, the Sadducees had more seats on the Sanhedrin, so they held sway. But in spite of their differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they united together in order to try to bring Jesus down. Again, I said it earlier, last week, Pharisees step up to the plate, tough question about taxes. Jesus answers it, the crowd marvels. Now it's the Sadducees. They step up to the plate. They've got a tough question. It's about the resurrection. They're trying to stump Jesus. They're trying to smear his name. You guys think they're gonna be successful? All right, look at verse 18. We're gonna get into it. And the Sadducees came to Jesus, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, verse 19, teacher, now what's the next two words? Moses wrote, okay, that's what they think is authoritative, Torah. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man, that brother, must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Well, you have to stop right there because this is foreign to most of you, or if not many of you. Uh, what are they talking about here? The Sadducees were quoting from Torah, from the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy 25. We're gonna go back 1,500 years B.C. and see what Moses actually wrote down, all right? And so if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and make her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out in Israel. Okay, so this is what is known as the law of leveret marriage. The word leveret comes from the Latin word lavere. Lavere simply means a husband's brother. Okay, so this is how it went down in first century Judaism. Actually, um, Judaism in, in the Old Testament days as well. Okay, and so if a, if a woman's husband died, then if he died before she had the chance to have any kids, then the dead man's brother would take responsibility of her. He would marry her. He would have relations with her. And if she had a son, then that son was uh, going to carry on the name of the dead brother, okay? So the law of leveret marriage, it was designed to accomplish at least three things for a, a Jewish man who died prematurely. Number one, it was designed to protect his name, okay? So he, he wanted his name to continue on even after his death. So his brother would step up to the plate 
have relations with his wife and they would have a child, a son, and that son would carry on that man's name in Israel. Number two, it was uh, designed to protect his property. It would keep that man's property um, in the family, in his name, um, for generation after generation after generation through that boy that would be uh, born. And then number three, it provided for his wife after he was gone. This culture back then was completely different than the culture today. Women had little to no rights, and so if the husband died, they're destitute, and so the brother would step up and do his responsibility and take care of the wife. If this is making sense to you, just say amen. Okay, so now that this, now you understand the law of levirate marriage, you know what they're talking about in this question. We're gonna start reading in verse 20 to see what the question is, but I just gotta warn you, this question is absolutely ridiculous, okay? (laughs) There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. Verse 22. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. And so Jesus, they're probably laughing under their breath, poking each other. In the resurrection, did these guys believe in the resurrection? In the resurrection, when they rise again, Whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. And again, this is the most ridiculous question Jesus had ever been asked. But what else would you expect from a group of guys who were religious and yet lost? You guys understand that you can be religious and lost, right? And so they asked this really dumb question. Let's think through their question. All right, so the first brother marries this woman and he dies. So the second brother marries this woman and he dies. So the third brother marries this woman and he dies. Now, just time out right there. You would think in this story, somebody would start get, uh, to, to get a little suspicious. <laughs> if I'm the fourth brother, I'm gonna start asking some questions right now. I'm gonna be like, who is this woman and why are all my brothers dying (laughs) as they're married to her? You know, does she have anger issues? (laughs) Is she a mass murderer? Is there anything I need to know before I say I do? You know, do I need to pack up my camel and get out of Israel while the getting's good? I wanna start asking some questions. And so you can see in this ridiculous scenario, they're trying to stump Jesus, they're trying to make him look bad. In this ridiculous scenario, All seven brothers had her, all seven brothers died, she dies, okay Jesus, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? You know, hearty, har, har, har. Jesus is not laughing. It says in verse 24, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are, what's the word? Everybody just look at me for a second. There's times in my pulpit ministry as we're going through the scriptures, where I will point out false teachings. And I will say flat out, this is wrong. And we get emails. You know, you shouldn't do that, pastor. 
And what, what you gotta understand is that Jesus did it. Jesus pointed out false doctrine. He told these guys who had power and influence and wealth, you're wrong. Okay, and so the shepherd of the flock that really loves his flock is gonna speak the truth in love. The shepherd that doesn't love his flock is just gonna say, oh, let's just all hold hands together and walk off into the sunset together. I can't do that. Okay, and so I'll just keep pointing out the things that are wrong and you need to know it's all, where I'm coming from is God's word, not my opinion, okay? And so if Jesus did it, me, the other pastors of this church, the elders of this church, we have to. We're gonna stand eyeball to eyeball with, in front of Jesus someday and give an account of, of our ministries. Of course we got to. Okay, and so Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Verse 24. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And so the Sadducees thought they were all that. They thought they were so great. They thought they were always right. But Jesus said, you're wrong. They had all the power and all the wealth and all the influence. They knew about worldly things, but they didn't have a clue about spiritual things. And Jesus said, the reason you don't have a clue about spiritual things is because you don't know God's word and you don't have God's power. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's an application here for you and I. It's simply this. What is more important than power and wealth and influence? I got at least two things, God's word and God's power. That's way more important than political power or influence or even wealth. God's word is where it's at and God's power. That's, those two things are what matters to Jesus. The other stuff doesn't matter. So the question I ask you is, do you know God's word? I didn't ask if you've been to seminary. I'm not even asking if you've taken a Bible class or a semester of Bible college. I'm just asking, do you, right now, do you have a working knowledge of the word of God? And if the answer is no, my prayer for you as your pastor is that you would start today to get into God's word every single day so that you can grow in, 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 in the knowledge of the word of God. And, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. There, is, there are awesome free resources available. You don't have to spend a dime. You can go to blueletterbible.org. Blueletterbible.org. It's a uh, website on steroids as far as understanding God's word, put together by solid men of God who actually believe in the historic Christian faith believe in the core doctrines of Christianity. And it's there free. And all you have to do if you get overwhelmed is you go to help, click on help, click on video tutorial, it'll take you through and, and help you to understand God's word. And I wanna encourage you, if you're brand new to the Bible, start in the New Testament. Get to know the New Testament, then go back and read the Old Testament. The New Testament will come alive like never before, but get to know God's word. Let me tell you something, if you don't, if you don't know God's word, you're gonna ask dumb questions, like the Sadducees. 
If you don't know God's word, you're gonna do dumb things. If you don't know God's word, you're not gonna have godly wisdom that'll help you live a life, not of perfection, but a life that is faithful and a life that is fruitful. My prayer, my earnest prayer for our church family is that you guys would have a hunger for God's word that you would wake up on Saturday if you're going to Saturday night or Sunday if you're going to Sunday and you would be so excited about coming here to worship the Lord in spirit and truth and to hear his word and that you'd be so excited to get into your closet or your quiet place so that once again, you can open up the word and begin to understand it and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as you are reading his word with a surrendered heart, guess what comes upon you? the power of God. He said, you don't know the word of God. And he said, you don't know the power of God. And when you have those two things up and running in your life, man, God will use you to help other people become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says in verse 25, after telling them, rebuking them for not knowing the word of God or the power of God, He says to the Sadducees in verse 25, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the who in heaven? The angels. And so the Sadducees said, whose wife is she gonna be in the resurrection, Jesus? And Jesus said, she's not gonna be anybody's wife in the resurrection, because at that time, We're going to be like the angels. That leads you to your next point. And that is that on the new earth, there will be no need to procreate in order to populate. Okay, that's what God's word teaches. In other words, when God first created the heavens and the earth, way back in Genesis, okay, he created them male and female. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And Adam and Eve said, all right. And they obeyed God's command and they and their descendants populated the earth. Ever since the beginning of time through marriage and procreation, the world has been populated and repopulated and populated and repopulated to the point now that we have over 7.5 billion people living on this ball in the universe. Okay, that's the old earth, the new earth that's coming. It's coming to a theater near you. I'm telling you, it's coming. John said in Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And so one day this earth that we're standing on right now is gonna pass away. And marriage, the institution of marriage is gonna pass away with it. Why? Because on the new earth, there's no need for people to be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth. The new earth is already gonna be populated by billions, with a B, of resurrected human beings, and they're gonna be like the angels who cannot die. Okay, if people aren't dying, there's no need to procreate in order to populate. Is this making sense to you guys? All right, but those of you who are happily married right now are probably bummed out. Because you're thinking, I like the woman, right? We get along, this is good. Well, 
Okay, so now I am just, just letting you know, I'm not speaking what the Bible says. So I, I will give you an opinion. You know how much opinion matters, right? Not much, but anyway, I personally am of the opinion that it's gonna be better over there. So if it's gonna be better over there, I think that my relationship with my wife, who thank God, by God's grace, we're happily married. Um, we're gonna celebrate 30 years next year. It went like that, it's, it's amazing. But I think that our relationship will be deeper and it will be better. Will it be exclusive? I don't know, I don't think so. Will there be any uh, sexual activity? No, Jesus said we'll be like the angels, but you gotta know that what God has waiting for us is better than what we experience in this life. Now, some of you are not happily married and you see that Jesus said there's no marriage in heaven and you're jumping for joy on the inside. <laughs> I just wanna ask you to keep those feelings where no one knows about them, <laughs> especially the person sitting next to you. And in all seriousness, joking aside, if you're having problems in your marriage, why don't you just give us a call? We'd love to uh, you know, sit down as pastors with you and, and help you navigate. And if we need to refer you to a professional Christian counselor, we'll do that. But don't let your marriage keep getting worse and worse and worse. God wants your marriage to get better and better and better. So get the help you need while, while, while there's time. Um, divorce should not be an option for the born again believer unless there's been adultery or abandonment by an unbeliever and you've heard that sermon before. Verse 26. Jesus continues to answer the Sadducees. He says, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of who? Can you see that? He's referring to the Torah. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And I love how the Lord handled this. He knew they accepted the Torah as authoritative. So he went to what they thought was authoritative to prove that they were wrong. He went to the Torah to correct their erroneous belief that there is no afterlife and there is no resurrection. He went to Exodus chapter three where God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And what did God say in Genesis, uh, uh, Exodus 3, 6? He said, I, what's the word? am, present tense. Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now this isn't making sense to you if you don't understand the timeline in the Bible, okay? And so Genesis is the what book of the Bible? Help me out. First book of the Bible, and as you're reading through Genesis in your devotions, you'll read about Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, they're gonna live in Genesis and they're gonna die in Genesis. Then you fast forward hundreds of years and you come to Exodus. Exodus is which book of the Bible? Help me out. 
the second you get to Exodus chapter three. What is Exodus all about? Exodus is about a man named Moses and he's delivering the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out of their slavery in Egypt. And so there he is in Exodus three and there's a bush and it's burning and it's not being burnt up. And God Almighty speaks to Moses in Exodus three. And he says, Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God did not say, Moses, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob when they were alive back in Genesis. No, in Exodus, God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. What does that mean? That means that even though we're in Exodus, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who died in Genesis, are more alive than ever. What does that mean? It means there's life after death. He's the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. And they try to put Jesus in check. He puts them in checkmate. He try, they try to make him look bad, but he makes them look bad using the documents that they said was authoritative. Praise Jesus. He's an awesome, awesome God. And so there is life after death. What we're gonna do for the remainder of our time, okay, so we're done exegeting the text. What we're gonna do for the rest of our time is we're gonna talk about the afterlife. And we're gonna do that through a series of questions and answers. And so I'm gonna put some questions up on the screen and answer them. And so the question number one, what happens when a person dies? Here's the biblical answer. This is not opinions straight from God's word, their soul goes to heaven or hell. That's what happens when a person dies. By the way, there is no purgatory. It's not in the Bible. It was a doctrine that was made up later in church history. It's a doctrine of man. It is not a doctrine of God. And so all humans possess both a body and a soul. The body is temporal, the soul is immortal. What does that mean? That means that your soul and my soul will live forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. And so concerning heaven, here's the good news. The apostle Paul wrote to that church in Corinth and he said, while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Okay, so how many of you right now your soul, by the way, your soul is the real you. This is not the real you, this is just an outer shell. So how many of you, your soul right now is um, at home in your body? Say amen if that's true. Wow, that was weak. Okay, so, so what you're saying is you guys are just a bunch of spirits? I'm seeing a bunch of material, tangible people. So if your soul right now is inside, at home in your body, search, let's, let's, let's try it again, say amen. amen. Okay, and it says that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. What does that mean? It means that the Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father. By the way, he's praying for you. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You don't see him, you don't see the Father, you don't see the throne, you don't see heaven. That's why the next statement says, we walk by what? Faith, Faith and not by sight but there's good news. And that is we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with who? 
So one day we're gonna see the throne. We're gonna see him seated at the right hand of the Father and we're gonna hear his prayers audibly. It's gonna be awesome. All right, and so when the born again believer, and the reason I say born again, by the way, the, the term born again is not made up in some Southern Baptist church in Georgia in the 1800s. The word born again comes straight from the lips of Jesus in John 3, 3. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So when the born again believer takes his last breath, I've seen it with my own two eyes. I've seen the last breath. When the born again believer takes the last breath, that person as easily as a hand slips out of a glove, that person's soul slips out of their body and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, just like that, okay? D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived, when he was on his deathbed, he said, quote, I see earth receding Heaven is opening. God is calling me. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. No pain, no valley. It is bliss. Soul slipping out of the body, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's the destination of born again believers. What about Christ rejectors? What about unbelievers? When they take their last breath, their soul slips out of their body and their soul goes to the torment of hell. Just like the rich man in Luke 16, 23, you can read it later, it's not a parable. It's a true story because Jesus used the poor man's name, Lazarus. He never used names in parables. But when the rich man died in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. And so imagine billions of souls, either in heaven or in hell, and they're waiting for the resurrection. Question number two, when is the resurrection gonna occur? It's gonna occur before and after Christ's millennial reign. And so one day, Jesus Christ is gonna come back physically, tangibly to this earth. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. When he comes back to this earth, he's gonna set up his kingdom and he's gonna reign for a thousand years. That's the next chapter, Revelation chapter 20. Okay, and so the, uh, John uh, talks about this in Revelation 20 verse six, if we could put that up on the screen. Revelation 26, he said, blessed and holy is the one who shares in what resurrection? Okay, and so everybody look at me. There's the first resurrection, that's called the resurrection of the just. That happens before the millennium, milli Latin for a thousand year reign of Christ. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the unjust that happens after the millennium. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death. You study the God's, God's word, Revelation chapter 20, you see the second death is spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. Over such, the second death has no power, but they, those who are part of the first resurrection, will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for how long? A thousand years. 
And so the millennial kingdom of Christ in fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant, Jesus has to come. He has to reign as the son of David. John tells us he's gonna reign for a thousand years. Here's the good news. He needs some help. He, he wants, he doesn't need it. He wants some help. And so because he wants some help, he is going to voice out a command. And what's gonna happen is that when he returns to this earth, the just are gonna hear the voice of the Son of God and they're gonna rise from the grave. What does that look like? Well, that, that, that means that countless believers, billions of them from Adam all the way to the end of the age, and most of them are gonna already be in heaven. They're gonna hear the voice of the Son of God, the commandment, and when they hear that voice, they, their soul is gonna descend and it's gonna reunite with their physical remains, whatever is there. You say the body's decomposed. Well, all God needs is just a little DNA particle. He's God, he can do whatever he wants. And the soul is gonna reunite with the physical remain, wherever those remains are. And that person is gonna rise from the grave. And in his or her resurrected body, they are gonna reign with Christ on this earth, this is before the new earth, on this earth for a thousand years. Some will rule over 10 cities. Some will rule over five cities, according to Jesus in the parable of the Minas, Luke 19. Listen, there's only one way we get to the kingdom of God, and that's the blood of Jesus. But once we're there, what we do for a thousand years will be based on our faithfulness to Christ right now in this life. If you, if you just heard that, just say amen. <laughs> just wanna make sure you heard that. Again, I don't want you coming to me saying, I never knew, you know. I'm telling you right now, your faithfulness or unfaithfulness to Christ right now in this life will determine your activity in the kingdom. Some will reign over five, some will reign over 10. I don't understand what all that looks like, but Jesus said it, I believe it. What about the unjust? Their resurrection happens after the millennial reign of Christ. And so after the thousand year reign of Christ, after the final revolt of Satan, their souls will be released from hell and their souls will also reunite with their physical remains and they will rise in resurrected bodies and they will stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm sorry, the, the, great, the great white throne judgment. Okay, I'm in Revelation chapter 20. Can you imagine? John said, I saw, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the one on the throne. And so the great white throne judgment, they are there. The book of life is opened. And the Bible says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so in their resurrected bodies, they're quarantined for all eternity from Christ, from God. Horrible, horrible thing. If you're here today and you haven't chosen Christ, to be your hero, to be your savior, to be your boss, to be your everything. Choose right, choose Christ. Next question, this is the good news. What will be raised? 
our bodies. That's just and unjust people. And by the way, the, the, the way you're just or, or an unjust, it's not about our works. It's about Christ. You see, it, the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It says that by grace you're saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. When you turn from your sin and you turn to Christ alone in faith, then what happens is that he clothes you with his righteousness and you become just. Does that make sense to you guys? Got to make sure you get that. So you don't think, I hope I'm good enough to make it to the resurrection of the just. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what we do with Jesus. And so... What's gonna be raised? Our bodies. And so Christ raises us up at the end of the age. When that happens, these mortal bodies become immortal. John Phillips says this, look at this. One of these days, we're gonna have a body of power. It will never get tired, never grow old, never stumble, never fall, never get ill, never wear out, and best of all, Never yield to sin. Theologians call that the doctrine of, um, of, of being impeccable. You won't sin because you won't even want to sin. Instead, it will be an invincible fortress, an incredible force at the disposal of the Lord for the development of all his future plans for the universe. Can you imagine this? If you are a believer and you receive your resurrected body, the Bible says you will never get tired, you will never grow old, you will never get sick, you will never sin, and you will never die. You'll be like an angel, you'll be immortal. And not only that, you will engage in unending service as the Son of God carries out his plans forever and ever and ever for the new heavens and the new earth. It's like, what does that mean? I don't know, it's gonna be fun to find out someday when we get there. Next question, what's gonna be uh, what will our bodies be like? Answer, Christ's resurrected body. Now, I'm not saying that we're gonna have any of the attributes of, of deity. We're not gonna be omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, sovereign. We're not gonna be those things, but ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna be awesome. And the reason we're gonna be awesome is because 1 John 3, 2 says, when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Paul said this to the church of Philippi, our citizenship is where? In heaven. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior and Lord, you're not a citizen of this earth. You're a citizen of heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That means that when we are raised up to life and we're in these resurrected bodies, our former lowly bodies will be now like his resurrected body. Okay, so what is that gonna look like? Well, we have some hints because we know the Bible talks about Jesus after he rose from the grave between his resurrection and his ascension, we have some, some uh, things to look at. He was around 33 years old. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. He walked through walls. 
when he shall appear, we shall be like him. He fellowshiped with other believers. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. Not only that, my favorite, he ate food. <laughs> Give me some food. I'm gonna show you that I'm not a ghost. They're freaking out. Give me some food. He ate it in his resurrected body. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. And we're not gonna have to count calories. It's gonna be awesome. Now, as far as how we dispose of that food, I don't know. Were the Bible silent? I'm silent. I have no idea. But we're gonna be able to eat. We're gonna be able to fly. Jesus flew in his resurrected body. You remember the ascension? There he is, take off. And the disciples are like, and the angel says, you men of Galilee, why are you gazing up into heaven? Get to work, right? That's my, my, my paraphrase there. But he flew. We're gonna, when he shall appear, we'll be like him. I'm trying to, to let you know that the time we spend here is nothing compared to the time we spend there. And so I'm trying to prepare you for where you're gonna spend the most time so that you can realize you're not a citizen of the earth, but you're a citizen of heaven. And you can prepare yourself by renewing your mind and encouraging yourself that because of the blood of Christ, you'll be able to live forever with him. Last question, where are we gonna live? On the new earth. The new earth. Now, as you try to imagine what we're gonna be doing for all eternity, okay, don't think of some misty, dreamy realm where we're all floating around like little plump spirits, you know, <laughs> flying around, sitting on a cloud, looking at each other with a harp, kind of like, boing. <laughs> That would be worse than hell, okay? <laughs> it's no wonder people don't wanna come to church. People don't wanna read the Bible. They think about the afterlife because of the picture in your bathroom. That's not the afterlife. <laughs> it's not those little plump guys. What does John say? Let's get to what the Bible says. I saw a new heaven and a what? A new earth, tangible. We're not gonna be some plump little spirit flying around. We're gonna be in powerful, immortal, resurrected bodies, and we're gonna be standing on a resurrected earth, and we're gonna be doing some absolutely awesome things. So what's gonna be the best part of heaven? Is it gonna be the beauties of the new creation? Is it gonna be the massive mansion that we get to live in? Is it gonna be the amazing adventures we get to go on in the new heavens and the new earth? I don't think so. I think the greatest thing of all is gonna be what John said in Revelation 21.3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And help me out with this underlined portion. Go ahead. There's your best part of heaven right there. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself, can you imagine this? Will be with them as their God. By the way, that's why we need, we can praise God for that. 
This is why we need a body upgrade. Because right now in these broken down mortal bodies, if we were to gaze at God in all of his unadulterated glory, we would be like the wicked witch of the West and melt into oblivion. But in that day, we'll have a body engineered for eternity and we'll be able to see what theologians call the beatific vision and we'll be able to gaze in the face of God in all his glory and it's not gonna kill us, it's going to be the best part of it all.